Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians, and we're going to look at verses 23 through 29. In anticipation of the Jewish people's response to his declaration that no man is made righteous by the observing of the law, Paul addresses the purpose of the law, and that's what we pick up in our text today. We left off at Galatians chapter 3, verse 22, so let's uh, start with verse 22 through And I'm going to read through verse 24, beginning with verse 22. But the scripture has imprisoned everyone, everything, the entire world under sin. Does that leave anything out here? Everyone, everything is imprisoned under sin. So that the inheritance, the blessing of salvation, which was promised through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe in him and acknowledge him as God's precious son. Everyone is born into sin. So sin is not a matter of behavior. It is a matter of birth. It is a matter of birth, not a matter of behavior. You must be born of the promised seed, which is Christ. That's the promise given unto Abraham. Your descendants would be many through the promised seed, and he's talking about Jesus. Okay? We have all been born into sin, and therefore we have all been condemned to death by the law. What is the wages of sin? Death. Exactly. The Jewish people knew that they were awaiting the Messiah. They knew that. They still know, still believe that. But they did not comprehend the truth of their need or the purpose of his coming. In a sense, they were born imprisoned and waiting to be delivered from sin. That was their condition. Now, we have been literally held before we received Christ by faith. We were held in a position of condemnation. The scriptures created a contrast that revealed an identity in man, an identity that man could never escape and is continually trying to recreate. Isn't that true? People are constantly trying to change their external identity and adapt themselves accordingly in order to create for themselves something that they believe others will love more and that they will love more. It's a constant pursuit of identity. And what is being molded or being conformed by the world is simply the manipulation of the soul and the flesh. It is not who the Christian is. The Christian has already been made new. The lost is still trying to find acceptance in the way they act, the way they dress, and how they present themselves by being the most attractive, the most charming, the most funny, the most intellectual, whatever. And we celebrate those things as though that is the person. But God does not look to the flesh to identify anybody 
And as you will see as we come to the end of this chapter, God does not expect you to look at anybody according to the flesh either. Now, verse 23 and 24. Now, before faith came, we were kept in the custody under the law, that is, perpetually imprisoned in preparation for the faith that was destined to be revealed. With the result that the law has become our tutor and our disciplinarian to guide us to Christ so that we may be justified, that is declared free of the guilt of sin and its penalty and placed in right standing with God. Amen, right? Isn't it good to be free of guilt? It said free from the guilt of sin. It didn't say free from sin, did it? No, it said free from the guilt of sin. Now, in the Greek, the verse, verse 23 reads, but before the faith come. And it's an obvious reference to Christ. And if you skip ahead and look at verse 25, it reads, but now that faith has come. So as one theologian suggested, we're actually looking at the before and after of faith here. Okay? Paul writes, we, and what he is referring to is the Jewish we. He's referring to himself as a Jew, okay? We, the Jews, had been kept under the law for hundreds of years. They were slaves to the law, prisoners of the law, in the custody of the law. And this was actually, it's it's uh, presented in such a way that you can read this as a protective custody. It is a protective custody. And this protective custody was, custody was to restrain the inevitability of sin through the threat of punishment. We do that with our own kids, right? If you go out there, you're going to get a spank. We're trying to keep them from running out in the street. That's protective custody, isn't it? Make them sit down. Laws do not stop lawlessness, do they? They really don't. Laws against stealing do not stop stealing. All a man needs is opportunity and desire. The opportunity to steal, now this is the point, the opportunity to steal does not create a thief. The opportunity to steal does not create a thief, it reveals a thief. The law gives us the definition and the prohibition of stealing, So the law condemns the thief. If you're born with the heart of a thief, you are condemned in your identity whether you ever get the opportunity to steal or not. Do you get it now? It's not because you stole. It's because you have a heart of a thief. And what is it going to take to change that? A new heart. A new heart. Now, this is uh, the truth of being held captive. We're born in the flesh with an identity that we cannot escape. And this is a sad thing. When when we are lost, we're born in the flesh with only the identity that we can appropriate for the flesh. And it's never it's never the truth. And it's ever changing. And it's always transient. And it's ever corrupt. Paul writes that the Jewish people were imprisoned by the law waiting for faith. That is, in Jesus as a way to escape their identity into a new life. Now, listen, the enemy could not stop faith from being revealed. He could not stop the way of escape. He tried. And 
he does the only thing that the enemy can do in this situation. And that is he attempts to hide or distort the way of escape. He attempts to hide or distort the way of escape. So here's the thing we got to realize, folks. The enemy is not in an all-out effort to get you to sin. It's not about getting you to behave in a certain way. The enemy is not in an all-out war to try to get you not to believe in God. He's pretty much given that one up. The enemy is in an all-out war against faith. That's where the battle lies. It's against faith. Because everything that the Christian is, not going to be, but is, is appropriated by what? Faith. All that this Bible tells you about being a Christian is received and, and lived out by how? Faith. How did you come into Christ? Faith. Exactly. The enemy knows that if he can keep you away from determining to believe, determining to practice faith, he can keep you from living the Christian life. He cannot keep you out of the Christian life. You see, you have life, but it takes faith to live it. That's the truth of it. And you know, this is the biggest battle that most of us as Christians go through. We, we believe that we became a Christian, that somehow all of this would be imposed on us. Or if we just read the Bible enough, it would co- rub into us like a salve. Or if we pray enough, somehow there would be this holiness that we would possess because of our prayer life. If we did enough, that we would possess some kind of, of Christ-like humility and charity because we did those things. But that is the law that says you receive by what you do. It is not the truth of faith. Faith says Christ has given everything unto you, including His very character within your being. You have a new heart. Faith is the only way that you can appropriate that truth. And if Satan can keep you looking for what you already got, you will never appropriate faith. You will appropriate it wrongly. We'll believe God to protect us. Please, God, protect us. Well, what do you think he's doing? When did he stop protecting you? Please, God, will you make sure that my kids are okay? Well, when did you think he stopped making sure your kids were okay? Did he give that up when you stopped praying? What if you don't pray for your kids? Do you think he'll stop protecting them and caring for them? I'm not advocating that you stop praying. When you pray, you enter into the truth of what God is doing. So we say, thank you, Father, that you are protecting my children so that I cannot be attacked by the enemy's fear, weapon fear that says, Oh, you better pray with him. You know, you're kidding me. You better, you know what? The reason your son got in that wreck is because you didn't spend your morning in the daily bread. You didn't pray out. You didn't mention him in prayer this morning. That's the reason. Are you believing that? If you're going to live in that kind of theology, you better go by the prayer candle now. Because the reality of it is that God has already completed the work in you. And he wants you to live out by faith the truth of what he has done. And by faith you recognize that you have a God who loves your children more than you do. Who created them for himself. 
who is protecting them, who is doing everything possible to bring them into truth the same way he did with you. Don't believe the enemy's lie. Don't sit there and believe that if you don't act in a certain way, God won't respond. Listen, let me tell you something. God is the initiator. You are the responder. And it takes faith to enter into the truth of that. With the Jewish people, the enemy worked with the corruption of man's heart to distort the purpose of the law so that they would believe that it could be a way to righteousness. The Old Testament saints, listen to me, the Old Testament saints were saved the same way we are saved, by faith. You say, well, now, I'm not sure that's true. Well, then look at Genesis 15, 6. We've read it. It's very clear. Then Abram believed and affirmed to trusted in and relied on and remained steadfast to the Lord. He relieved God and it was counted, credited to him as righteousness. He was declared righteous by what? Faith. Faith. Listen, all the Jewish people had to do was to believe in the coming promise in the free and unconditional Gift of salvation that would come through the promised seed of Abraham. That's all they had to do to escape the sentence, the death sentence that hung over their head. And they could escape through faith. And some of them did. Not all of them rejected truth. We, we see pit, vignettes of people who stood in faith. But many chose their own way and looked to themselves through the keeping of the law. They... When they couldn't keep the law, they simply begin to redefine it and misinterpret it. Rather than receive by faith, they created their own standard of righteousness. And then Christ came and he exposed their self-delusion. And he offered them faith. And they thanked him by putting him on the cross. Because he didn't come the way they believed he should come. And he didn't bring what they believed he should bring. So therefore, they dismissed him as a phony and a fake and crucified him. Now, all this was a part of was This is not just about the Jews. They played a part in the plan of God. But the reality of it is that man always, since the garden, Eve's choice, Adam's choice, man has always desired to make his own way to God, to be his own provision, to be his own righteousness. And the Jews simply took the template that God gave them in the law and distorted it in such a way, not only did they distort the purpose of the law, they distorted the purpose of the Messiah to the point they didn't recognize him when he arrived. Verse 24, with the result that the law has become our tutor and disciplinarian. Again, the hour there is, has to do with the Jew our disciplinary to guide us to Christ so that we may be justified, that is, declared free of the guilt of sin and its penalty and placed in right standing with God. Now, remember who Paul is really addressing here. He is dealing with the lies of the Judaizers who wanted to bring all the Gentiles under the Jude the Judaistic system, the Judaic law, the Mosaic law. They were trying to convert the Jew into Judaism because that's what they knew. That's what they understood. And that's where their standing was. And you know what? I can be president of the club, but if you're not a member of the club, you'll hardly recognize that I'm president of the club. Isn't that right? 
So what we need to do is get you signed up in the club so that you can laud all the glory and honor that should be mine because I'm the president of the club. When you're raised in a system and you've worked all your life to maintain that system and to gain ground in that system, the last thing you want to hear is that that, that the people around you are not members of the system. They're not involved in the system. You have the same thing in the church today. Because you can tell a man that we have what we have by grace through faith and our standing in God is righteous and holy. And he will say, yes, but let's not forget what we have to do. Now, the only reason he would say that is the same reason I'm, I'm prone to mention the people who haven't cut their lawn. It's right after I've cut mine. Right? He wants to bring it up because this fellow has a standing of righteousness in something. So you touch whatever that, wherever that standing is, and you're going to be in trouble. You talk against the idea of con- converting everybody through a strong evangelistic program, and he's the head of the evangelism committee, and he's going to come against you. You talk against trying to get everybody to memorize the whole Bible, and he's memorized the Bible. He's going to come against you. You see? But all of that is a standing in flesh. It's not a standing in truth. And we only can stand in the righteousness of Christ that is given us by faith. The Jews, the Judaizers, wanted to bring the Gentiles into this system so that they could lord over them, control them. So Israel rejects faith and they remain under the law. That's the bottom line. And here's the truth. You're either under the law or living in grace. You may not be Jewish, but the wages of sin is still death. And you're born in sin when you're born into the flesh. The law became for Israel a disciplinarian. Now, the Greek word used there, and I'm going to use this word over and over again, not because I know how to pronounce it. I may pronounce it badly but because it's more descriptive of the role that's actually being played out here. The Greek word that is used there for tutor or teacher or disciplinarian is phaidagogos. Phaidagogos, okay? And it's a title given to a slave, usually an, an older, educated Greek slave, who was the guardian of young boys. Now, the Romans loved everything Greek, The Greeks were hip for the Romans, right? They liked the Greeks. So the Greeks had this system, so therefore the Romans adopt. Look like a good plan if the Greeks are doing. But they got, that's what they did. They adopted the same system. So for a Greek male heir child that was born, he was immediately put under this slave, and they were typically elderly Greek slaves. Because these Greek slaves tend to know a little bit more about the whole system of raising up the male child. Okay? So, the Phaedagogos is a title given to this slave. And his principal job was to teach them, get this, teach them obedience. And to teach them self-discipline. He was not a beloved mentor or a teacher of academics, but rather a disciplinarian. Now, I've heard this preached a thousand ways, and typically they make the Phaedagogos sound like 
this elderly, sweet, kind man that brings them up, kind of like a nanny. Wrong. That's not at all the role of this guy. He would have been drawn and quartered if he'd behaved in that way. These young boys were not allowed to leave the house without them. The Phytogogots would escort them to their studies and stand over them till they were done. They were on these kids 24-7, watching their every move. Can you imagine that? How would you like to be in that position? His duty was a rather harsh one, and typically they were not well loved by the charge. Can you imagine? His sole job was to be a disciplinarian and to train those children in how to behave, and he had to be relentless. It never stopped. It never stopped. Now, when the boys went to sleep, he was there in their presence, and when they woke up, it was because he called them to wake up. This is why Paul repeatedly uses that same term, the phytogogos, remember that's the Greek term, to illustrate the role of the law. He uses it repeatedly. And people are confused by that because they see the law in a more, oh, muted place. It's, it's to help us. It's, to, it's going to gently guide us into truth. No, that's not at all the picture there. Okay. The Phytogogos was not a beloved teacher that many interpret him to be. He did deliver, however. It was his job to take the kids to the teacher. That was his job, to make sure they went to the place of education, and he was with them while they were being educated. Okay? In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, y'all remember this because we just went through this, but for... Paul writes, for even if you were to have 10,000 teachers to guide you in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers who led you to Christ and assumed responsibility for you. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the good news of salvation. So he says, for even if you were to have 10,000 phytogogos, you see the picture? If you were to have 10,000 Phytagogos to guide you in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. He's drawing a contrast between the Phytagogos and the father. And then in that same chapter, in verse 21, he, he asked the Corinthians, Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, Phytagogos? Or with love, the Father. You see the difference? Now let's look at verse 25. But now that faith has come, this is the after. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the control and authority of a tutor or disciplinarian. Phytagogos, again, that word. Verse 23, Paul writes about Before faith, in verse 23, he writes, Before faith came, we were under the law, under the relentless phytogogos, the guardian, the disciplinarian with a rod. In verse 25, he says, Now that faith has come, that is the promised seed, Christ, we are no longer under the phytogogos. And the immediate question is why, and all you got to do is keep reading. Go to verse 26. This is not speaking of the universality of of God as Father. 
pull yourselves into context and look from verse 25, the why, into verse 26. And he makes it very clear. Verse 26, for you, who, he qualifies this, who were born again, have been reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, sanctified, and are all children of God, set apart for his purpose with full rights and privileges through faith in Christ Jesus. That's why you're no longer under the Phytagogos. You've been born again, reborn from above. Faith has come. And if you've been born again... If you, by faith, have trusted in the work of Christ for your salvation, then you are no longer the stuff of this earth. You have been made new as a child of God. You are an heir, a joint heir with Christ. You have a new identity. It is no longer in sin. So the law has no grievance with you because you're no longer under the Fadigogos. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road, and Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.